Tonight, we're going to do part two of the reality of spiritual warfare. Reality of spiritual warfare. Uh, Ephesians chapter number six. Let's read the text again. And then Pastor Brandon. Remind me, I have five minutes left after that. Ephesians chapter five. Excuse me, chapter six, beginning with verse number 10. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench the fiery darts, of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. All right. The reality of spiritual warfare. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to look at your word together. I pray that you would help me to open the bread of life and help me, O oh God, to Speak with authority, speak with boldness, speak with clarity, and be truthful. Let it pierce the hearts of those that hear it here in this place. Those who watch online or should watch this week, we pray, God, that you, your word would take fruit and root in our hearts. That we would just not give heed to information, but that information would give heed to transformation and formation in our life. And we say yes to whatever you want to do in our life. We say yes to whatever you want to do in this church. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. And everyone shouted a great big. Everyone shouted a great big. So the reality of spiritual warfare. I Just for those who were not here this morning, I'm not going to review. I'm just going to give you the points. And then I will go on to my points tonight that I need to finish. Now, my goal this morning was to do five points. I never got there. I got to three points. And uh, so I am short two points. But So tonight I got to add those two points to the rest of the points. I have nine points, and I did three points this morning, right? So that leaves me how many points tonight? Six. So bear with me as we go through this. And I have overlaid this with Scripture. There's a plethora of Scripture with each of these points because as believers, I believe that Scripture is our bedrock. It is our source. It is our roadmap. And quite frankly, you did not come tonight to hear my opinion. I am just a preacher, not of my word, but the preacher of His word. So I am the mailman to give you what the word says and for you to take it and then you to make the decision to either apply that to your life or disregard that. And hopefully you will apply it to your life. And so um, I dealt with number one this morning that there is a spiritual and invisible 
world. The number one fact that we all got to get in our hearts tonight, and we got to get this clear, is that there is a spiritual and visible world. If we don't understand that principle, then the other points tonight will not make sense. So number one, the scripture is very clear. It's very firm that there is a spiritual and invisible world. I will not go through the scriptures like I did this morning. Uh, you can go online and watch the service from this morning. But number one, there is a spiritual and invisible world. How many would agree with me that there is more for us than against us? That if we could open up our spiritual eyes and ears, we could hear and see things that's beyond the natural. There is more for us than against us. Number two, we dealt with that we are in a spiritual battle. Not only is there an invisible spiritual world, but number two, there is a spiritual battle that all of us are engaged in. I said this morning that there are three arenas that we are fighting in. They are all spiritual, but we are fighting in three different areas. What was the first area? The worldly battle. The worldly battle deals with the corrupt, evil system of the world, the humanistic views that is against God or at odds against God. The worldly battle. Number two, it is the battle within us. The battle within us is any desire or affections that is contrary to God. The battle between the flesh and the spirit. And the last battle that we dealt with this morning under number two is the unseen battle. And the unseen battle refers to spiritual forces that are behind the natural and the visible world. They are the demons, angels, God, and Satan, etc. The unseen world. And you will see in the book of Ephesians that Paul was very clear in telling the church at Ephesus that the heavenly world really does exist. That the visible world really does exist. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, he tells us that every blessing that you have from God is in heavenly places. He tells us in chapter 2, verse 6 of Ephesians, that Jesus is in the heavenly place. He tells us that angels are in the heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. And he also tells us that demonic activity is also in heavenly places. And that is chapter 6, verse 12. Paul tells us that we are wrestling, verse 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness of this age. We are in a spiritual battle. Number one, there is a visible and there is an invisible spiritual world. Number two, we are in a battle and we fight the battle in three arenas. And number three, we said this morning that what we do on earth can affect the spiritual world and what happens in the spiritual world can affect the earth. Jesus said that when you pray, pray our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What happens on earth can affect heaven and what happens in heaven can also affect earth. And I dealt with Job and I dealt with Daniel on that. Number four tonight, this is the information that I want you to open your ears and hearts tonight. You say, Pastor, why did you take five minutes to review? Because any teacher will tell you that one of the most effective learning blocks in learning is making sure you review just a few moments before you give the, right the new information. So tonight, before you go home, hopefully you have heard this twice today, and there are building blocks all day that when you go home and throughout the week, you can meditate upon the Word of God so that can get into your spirit. Meditation. you got to chew upon the Word until it gets in your 
digestive spiritual system, all right? Number four, if you want to fix what is physical and visible, you have to address what is spiritual and invisible. Number four, I want you to get this in your spirit. Number four, if you want to fix what is physical and visible, you've got to address the spiritual and invisible. I'm going to say that one more time. If you want to fix what is physical and visible, you have to address what is spiritual and you have to address what is invisible. Now, I want to give you two examples in Scripture where this is important. There is a plethora of Scripture that demonstrates this principle. If you want to fix the natural realm, you first got to address the spiritual realm. You cannot just address the natural and forget that there is a spiritual realm. There is a spiritual realm and it does exist. The Bible tells us that there is a story in the book of Numbers. It's a familiar story of Balaam and Balak. Um, and you will read this story. It's interesting. I'm sure all of you have heard this story several times. But there is a story about Balaam's donkey that I want to read to you. It's Numbers chapter 22, beginning with verse number 22. And the Bible says, or verse 23, Then God's anger was aroused because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adverse adversity against him. And he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path between the vineyards with the wall on this side and the wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in the narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she laid down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, now how many knows that would freak you out right there? What have I done to you that you would have struck, struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, because you have abused me, I wish there was a sword in my hand. I would just kill you. It's not a very pleasant thing to talk to a, donkey, a talking donkey. Verse number 3. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey in which you have ridden ever since I have become yours to this day? Poor donkey. Everybody say poor donkey. Donkey saying, didn't I, didn't I provide you transportation? And how dare you treat me this way? And was I ever disposed to you to this day? He said, No. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. The point of it is, church, is that Balaam was striking the physical. He was striking the donkey. Balaam could not see that the donkey what the donkey could see. The donkey saw the supernatural realm. The donkey saw an invisible world. The donkey saw an angel. But Balaam could not see it. 
So what was Balaam doing? Balaam got angry. Balaam got frustrated. He took his staff and he beat the donkey. And when the donkey continued to see the supernatural, when Balaam couldn't see it, Balaam continued to strike the donkey until the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and the donkey began to have a conversation with Balaam and saying, listen, listen, I've been good to you. I've, I've been your donkey here. And the Lord opened up his eyes so that he can see the supernatural. And I said this to say this, if you want to fix what is physical and visible, you have to address the spiritual and the invisible. In other words, if you're always striking the donkey, if you're always getting frustrated at the donkey, if you're always cussing and screaming at the donkey, then the donkey is not the problem. There is a spiritual element to your life. There is a spiritual element to the issues of life. There is a spiritual element to the things that we go through. And some of us spend all of our life beating the donkey because we're not aware that the supernatural really does exist. We're not aware that there are spiritual forces at work. We're not aware that there is a spiritual force, a spiritual world behind the natural world. And what we do, we spend all of our time hitting the donkey and striking the donkey, unaware that there is a spiritual world behind the natural world. Can I hear an amen? So we got to open our eyes and see that maybe some of the stuff that we are experiencing in this life, maybe it's a result of us not paying attention to the spiritual element behind the natural world. The Bible says, and I encourage you tonight, quit striking the donkey. Quit fussing with your spouse. Quit cussing the mailman out. Quit getting frustrated with so-and-so. Quit doing the, quit. there could be a spiritual element behind it. And Things will never change if all you do is to address the natural with the natural. If you address the natural with the natural, things will never change. The Bible says in Luke chapter 13, verse number 10, remember in the synoptic gospel of Luke, there is a story told of the woman that was bent over for 18 years. The Bible says that Jesus came and into the synagogue because that's what happens when Jesus goes to church things change. Jesus showed up to the synagogue and he began to see this woman. He called this woman out and prayed for this woman. But Jesus made a very good observation about this woman. Listen to this story. Verse number 13. Luke chapter number 13 and beginning verse, verse number 10. And I quote, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. The Bible says, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity. Did you see that? A spirit of infirmity, 18 years, and was bent over and could in no way rise up herself or raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. The Bible says in verse 13, and he laid hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. Now, I want you to see here, the rulers of the synagogue got upset because he healed on the Sabbath day. Now, Jesus said that the woman's problem was that she had a spirit of infirmity. The sickness in her body was a direct result of a spiritual element. The sickness in her body was a result of a spiritual element. So what was happening in the natural was a result of what was happening in the spirit world. So there was a direct correlation between the spirit 
world and the physical world. And Jesus understood this, and he called. Now, now, let me say this. Not everybody that's sick and not everybody that has suffered from sickness is suffering from a spirit of infirmity. But in this particular case, this woman had a spirit of infirmity, and Jesus loosed this woman, and she was free. Jesus addressed the spiritual before she was healed. And that's the point that I want you to see. Jesus addressed the spiritual before the natural miracle took place. He addressed the spiritual before the natural. You know what we would do? We would call the woman, and you know what? In a modern-day America, we would give her some pills. We would, you know, read her a book. we say, take these pills, go home. we pat her on the back and say everything's going to be all right. We address the physical with the physical. And that's why we don't get no breakthroughs. That's why we don't see anything happening because we're taking care of the physical with the physical and you cannot address the physical with the physical. You've got to address the physical with the spiritual. If there is a problem in the natural, you've got to address it in the spirit world. Can I hear an amen? You cannot fix this world if you don't understand the unseen world. And sometimes our attempts to fix this world is to use this world. Sometimes our attempt to fix this world is to use this world. Well, let me say this loud and clear tonight, that this realm cannot fix this realm. This realm cannot fix this realm. I'm going to say this again. This realm cannot fix this realm. I'm going to say this again. This realm cannot fix this realm. Your battle is not in this world. It is in the unseen world. Your money, your time, your relationships cannot fix the problem. People will go get a horoscope to try to get their future. They'll get palm readings. They'll do this and that. Trying to fix the world. That is the world's way to fix things. The world's way to fix things is to use the world to fix the world. But as Christians tonight, we don't go to the world to fix our problems. We go to the supernatural to fix the natural. Can I hear an amen? That is the world's way of thinking. The world's way of thinking is, if I'm going to fix this problem, i got to use natural means to fix it. And that is not a biblical and theological mindset. Yes, there's a part for us to play in the plan of God. God uses people. There are things that God requires you to do and walk in obedience. But after you have done all that you can do, you need to let God do the rest. Sometimes we come up with a cure, but we don't know the cause. We come up with a cure, but we don't know the cause. you got to know the cause before you come up with a cure. You see, the demonic world wants you to focus on your five senses. They want you to focus on what you can hear and see and touch and taste. The devil wants to deceive you tonight in telling you, in order to fix your problems, you got to focus on what you see. The devil wants to convince you tonight, in order to fix your issues, you got to focus on what you can see and touch and smell and understand. That is the devil's trickery. He's very deceptive. He's manipulated in his strategies, and he wants to convince all of us, in order to fix our problems, you got to fix your problems by natural means, and you got to fix your problems by using the world to fix it. And that's what the devil wants you to get hung up with. He wants you to fix 
you by using your five senses. You got to listen. If you're going to fix you, you got to go back to the location of its origin. And sometimes the location of its origin is a spiritual thing. And if you are going to fix some things in your life, you've got to have the Lord to open up your eyes and see that some of these issues are spiritual. And the reason that we're still bound, and the reason we're still sick, and the still reason we're still depressed, and the still the reason we're going around the same mountain is because you're using your five senses to complete and to heal and to restore something that only the heavenly realm can do. Only the heavenly realm can do. Number five, the devil operates by consent and cooperation. The devil operates by consent and cooperation. Say that with me as loud as you can say it. The devil operates by consent and operation. The devil operates by consent and cooperation. The scripture reminds us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 11. Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse number 11. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul as he tells this church where their real battle is is located. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 says that you do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but you wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this world. You see, your battle is not with your spouse. Your battle is not with the church. Your battle is not with the crazy neighbor across the street. Your battle is not with the crazy person you work with. Your battle is supernatural. And the devil don't want you to know his schemes. He doesn't want you to understand his methodology. He doesn't want you to understand his schemes. Now, one of the word Greek words for the word wiles is deceptive strategies. It's trickery. And that's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy is a deceiver. And his primary control, his method of control over the people of God is to trick them and to deceive them. You don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but you wrestle against principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness of this world. you got to stand firm against the trickery of the devil. you got to stand firm against the deceptive strategies of the devil. The only power the devil has over you is the power that you give him. He is a defeated foe. The devil is a defeated foe. And listen, he is very smart. The devil is very smart. As a matter of fact, he, you're not his first assignment. The devil has been around for thousands of years, and he has led millions of people astray. He has deceived millions of people. He has tricked millions of people. In fact, hell is enlarging itself because Satan is a wonderful soul winner. He knows how to trick people into his place. He knows how to trick them. He knows how to skim. The devil's not going to come with a pitchfork and horns and a cape. The devil's going to come as an angel of light. He's going to come as something that looks godly and smells good because, remember, he wants to deceive you by controlling your life by your five senses. He wants you to understand life by your five senses. And the devil wants to deceive you, to trick you. And that's his primary responsibility. The devil has no power over your life. I want to say this and say it loud and clear because I want the devil to hear me tonight. The devil is a deceiver. And that's all the power he has is to deceive you. But he has no power over your life. I said he has no power over your life. 
The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 13. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 13. The scripture tells us that he is a defeated foe. The scripture says he has delivered us from the power of darkness. And he has conveyed us into the kingdom of his son in his love. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 10, listen to the words of the Apostle Paul as he says this, you are complete in him who is the head over all principalities and power. In other words, you are in Jesus and Jesus is the head over every principalities and powers. In other words, Jesus is over the enemy. Jesus is, and if Jesus is over the enemy, you're over the enemy because you're in Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, I want you to listen to this scripture as the Apostle Paul, uh, or the writer of Hebrews, excuse me, uh, is telling us uh, about uh, how you and I are free. The Bible says in Hebrews 2, verse 14, insomuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through his death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Somebody should go ahead and praise the Lord right there. The Bible says he has destroyed him. He has destroyed him. He has conquered him that has the power over death. That is the devil. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 22. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 22. The scripture tells us this. Ephesians 1, 22, and he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. I want to tell you tonight, I want to say it loud and clear, the devil is defeated and the devil has no power over you. The only thing the devil can do is to deceive you, but he has no power over you. The devil is defeated. The devil is defeated. I'm going to say that again. He's defeated. He has no power over you. The devil likes to scare you by using his gun. But the problem is the devil's gun is a cap gun. He has no bullets in it. It just makes a bunch of noise. But what the devil does to most of us is he puts the gun in a paper bag and he holds it to your family and he holds it to your life. He holds it to your mind. He holds it to your, to your job. And all you see is a paper bag with a gun in it, and you think it's loaded. But the Holy Spirit wants me to tell you, you need to take the bag off of the gun because there's no bullets in the gun. There's no nothing that can harm you. He is defeated, and all he's trying to do is deceive you and to scare you. His bark is bigger than his bite because he is a defeated foe. And when you realize this, when you realize this, listen, if I am working at a bank and somebody comes to me with a mask on and somebody comes to me with a gun that has a, you know, that's covered up, I'm going to be frightened. I'm going to be scared because I don't know if my life is in jeopardy or not. But when I discover that the man really doesn't have any bullets in his gun, my view of him changes. I'm no longer scared of him because he has no bullets in his gun. Well, guess what? 
I have discovered tonight the devil don't have no bullets in his gun, so my view tonight has changed of the devil, and I realize he cannot harm me. He can't destroy me. He can't hinder me. I have been... My view of the devil has changed. He cannot destroy me. The devil can't beat you with power. So you know what the devil would do? He he will just use deception that looks like power. The devil can't beat you with power, just deception that looks like power. He will whip you with permission, not power. He will whip you with permission, not power. Say that with me loud and clear. He will whip me with permission, not power. He has no power. He just needs your permission. And once you give him permission, he has control over you. And that's the only thing he has over you if you give him permission. Now, if the devil is defeated, if he's, excuse me, if he's defeated, if the devil is really defeated, then why are we not winning? If the devil's defeated, then why are you still defeated? If the devil is really a defeated foe and you really believe the scriptures I just read to you, then why are we not experiencing what we need to experience? Well, whatever the enemy is doing in your life, it's because you said it was okay. If you're experiencing hell, it's because you gave him permission. You said it's okay, devil, for you to rule my mind. It's okay for you to rule my heart. It's okay for you to rule my family. I need drugs. That's right, devil. I need to take that drink. I can't live without it. And the moment that you give the enemy permission, he has power over you. Because he really doesn't have any power, just the power you give him, he needs permission. If you give him permission, then he will move in your house, he will sit in your recliner, he will watch your TV and eat your Cheetos. But somebody needs to get mad at the devil and tell the devil, I know exactly who you are. Your gun has no bullets. I'm not scared of you anymore. You're not going to take my family. You're not going to destroy my health. You're not going to destroy my church. I am victorious. I know who you are. And I refuse. if I got to get up here and run around my house and take my Bible and hit you between the eyes, devil, you are not staying in my house you got to get a little bit of tenacity about you you got to you got to get fed up with the devil and tell the devil he is not staying anymore you say well pastor you're just demon conscious i think some of us is unconscious of demons you have been you have been indoctrinated from the world system and your system is take a pill and take a pill, have sex, do this, do that to take care of your problem. And you're right where the devil wants you because the devil says you got to fix your problems by the natural world. And I'm telling you that some of the junk that we're facing is a direct result of the spiritual world. And if we're ever going to get victory, we got to change our eyes to address the spiritual world. There is a heavenly host. There's demonic activity. There's demons that's been assigned to your children. There's demons that's been assigned to your family. There's demons that's been assigned to your marriage. You think the devil, the devil is after to get as much of God's family as possible. Do you know why? Because he one time was an archangel. Most theologians believe maybe he had a control over one third of the heavens as Michael or Gabriel might have had too. 
He was a part of God's family until he lifted his heart up in pride. And because of that, he was jealous and was cast down. And since then, however many years ago that was, thousands, millions, or billions of years ago, the enemy has made up in his heart that he is going to take not only one-third of the angels, he's going to take as many people with him because he is angry at God. He is vengeful at God. He is jealous of God. He is mad at God. God, you took me out of the heavens. I was your worship pastor. I walked up and down the Garden of Eden of heaven, and I led worship for you, and I just wanted a little bit of your glory and God you kicked me out and since you don't like me anymore God I'm going to try to get as many of this humans that I can these men and women that you've created in your image I'm going to try to deceive them and trick them and put schemes and tricks in their way and traps in their way and if I can get them to be tricked then I can be them I can get them to be a part of my kingdom my goal in the end the devil is saying I want a bigger kingdom than God's kingdom I want a bigger kingdom I want more people than God ever had but I want to let you know the devil was defeated at the cross and the devil is defeated today and I'm telling you we're going to empty we're going to empty out Galena and we're going to fill up heaven for the gospel of Christ hallelujah you are victorious listen to me you are victorious in the visible even though you may be defeated in the natural. That's when faith comes in. Faith tells you you need to believe the supernatural before you believe the five senses. And that's why it's a struggle. You are victorious in the visible, even though you feel as though you are defeated in the physical. And it takes faith to believe that you are victorious in the visible. You have victory. Some of us say, well, I... You know, in other words, you are having victory that you're not experiencing. You got to live your life in the framework of the supernatural and not necessarily of your five senses. Is the physical world important? Yes. Do you have five senses? Yes. But my issue is don't ignore it. Understand it. You see it. You know there are practical things. You know there are things we need to do, but you should never dismiss the supernatural realm. Number six, and this is a great big theological lesson, but hopefully it'll set most of you free. Number six, your problem is not people. Say that with me. My problem is not people. Say this with me again. My problem is not people. Your problem is not people. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter six that the flesh and blood is real, but the root of the problem is supernatural. You don't fight against flesh and blood, but you fight against principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness of this world. You see, the problem is, is that we're focusing on the fruit and we're bypassing the root. The root is spiritual. The fruit is physical. The fruit is physical while the root is spiritual. And all we do sometimes is focus so much on the fruit that we forget the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is the supernatural realm. Now, you ever heard somebody say, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind? What would happen if you would give the supernatural realm a piece of your mind as much as you give people a piece of your mind? What would happen if you give the supernatural as much of a piece of your mind as you do people? We would probably be victorious. We would probably experience victory. 
if we would give the supernatural realm a piece of our mind as much as we give people. Your problem is not people. Your problem is not people. There was a little girl that was on the school bus. Her daddy came and was waiting at the door for her. And he, the school bus drove to the uh, front of the house. He went out to meet his little baby girl. And uh, he noticed that when she got off the school bus, she was frustrated. You know, she's an eight-year-old girl. And he was like, what are you frustrated over, baby? She didn't answer. So he opens the door. She walks up the steps. And all the while she was walking up the steps, she's mumbling, people, 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 people. Well, she slams the door into her bedroom. Her father was perplexed, under not knowing what is wrong with his little baby girl. What kind of day can an eight-year-old girl have at school? So he walks upstairs. He knocks on the door. And he says, baby, can I come in? Daddy wants to come in and talk to you. She screams as loud as possible. No, Dad, I'm not letting you in. And he said, why? And she said, because you are a people. You see, sometimes we're like that little girl. We get frustrated with people. And people get on our nerves. And people don't do what we want them to do. And that's okay because a part of life is learning how to deal with people and get along with people. But sometimes if there's tension and conflict at a continual basis, it could be a supernatural, spiritual issue. Number seven, you got to stand firm. Your problem is not people. you got to stand firm. Now, this is what I really want you to pay attention to. And, and hopefully the scripture will be behind me. Ephesians 6, Ephesians chapter 6, Brother Mike, if you could put Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse number 11. I want you to see, and I want everyone to look up here, and I want you to see something that I've never seen before. So if you take a moment and just stop writing and just look up here, and I want you to see something. I'm going to read these scriptures, and I want you to see something, all right? The Bible says in verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the trickery, the deceptive strategies, the tricks of the devil. Stand. Everybody say stand. Verse 12, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all, stand. So two verses so far, emphasizing the word stand. Is that correct? Go to verse 14. Verse 14, stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So over and over in these just few short verses, you see the word stand, 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 stand. Now, it, 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 in the Greek, it means to stand up with a, with a straight posture and to dig your heels in. That's what that means, to dig your heels in. Now, that makes sense because the Apostle Paul in this context is talking about the armor. And he is liking the armor to what the Romans would wear. And the Romans would wear shoes that had spikes at the, at, at the bottom of their shoe. And those spikes would help the uh, would help those who are fighting in the army to stand firm with a firm posture. And those spikes would go in the ground and help them to stand. And the Apostle Paul is saying this, as Christians, 
You need to make sure you stand firm as if you had those Roman shoes on with spikes and make sure you dig your heels in the ground. Make sure you get in the ground real tight there, real hard, and stand that no matter what the enemy is saying, no matter what the enemy is throwing, no matter what the tricks he's thrown at you, you are immovable. You're not going to be shaken. You're not going to go to the right. You're not going to go to the left. You're going to stand. In other words, I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to do what God has called me to do because I am like that Roman army soldier man that my feet is digging into the ground and I refuse to move. Is there anybody in the building tonight that you're going to dig your heels in and you're going to tell the devil, no matter what you throw at me, I am not moving. I am not. If anybody's going to move, you're going to move. I'm not going to move. I'm going to stay right where God wants me to stay. I'm going to stay right where God wants me to stay. I'm going to be immovable. I'm going to stay. There's an urgency with that. And it's kind of like raining outside. You have an umbrella. You're covered up. It's not raining on you. It's raining on everything else, but you're covered. And when you stand in a firm place where God has put you and you put on the armor of God and you stand against the enemy, it doesn't negate the fact that there's a battle, but it means that you are covered. It means that you are covered. He says, be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. In other words, your human strength doesn't work in that realm. In the supernatural realm, your human strength doesn't work. That's why he said you've got to be strong in the Lord. There's a different type of strength that comes in the supernatural realm. Your strength doesn't work there. Therefore, you've got to have a new strength in that realm. You've got to have a new strength. You see, my friends, you've got to stand firm against the wiles of the devil. Standing firm doesn't change the fact that there may be evil around you. It just keeps evil raining on you because you refuse to give in to the tactics of the enemy. I read this illustration and I thought this was neat. Not that I do this. And anybody who truly knows me would laugh. But ESPN Pastor Josh is not a sports freak. All right. But anyway, on ESPN, if you'll notice something, that when they give coverage of previous games, if you click on ESPN and they're giving coverage of games, sometimes they'll give coverage of previous games and previous scores, and they usually report the winning score first before they give you the details of the game. So you click on ESPN, they're given a report of previous games, and the very first thing they usually will do, they will give you the winning score first, and then they will give you the details of the game. They are talking from a place of victory, not to determine victory. The score was already given. Some Christians are not talking from a place of victory. They're, they're still trying to decide if they're ever going to get victory, if they're ever going to make it, and if they're ever going to see the light of day. 
you've got to change your life as Young E. Cho did as a teenager and wrote the book called The Fourth Dimension. He realized that life, although we live in the physical realm, there is another dimension to live in. And so some Christians are not talking from a place of victory. They're still trying to decide if they will ever get victory. Listen, we are not to pray for victory. We already have victory. Victory was already achieved 2,000 years ago, so we're, we're, we're running from victory. We already got it. Number eight, He gives the armor. He doesn't dress you. He doesn't dress you. He gives you the armor. Finally, my brethren, verse 10, Ephesians 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor. In other words, He has an armor for you, but you got to put it on. Now, I, I uh, have a few minutes. Is it alright since it's Sunday night for me to just to finish this? Come on, y'all. Quit acting like you're sick and depressed. Say amen. Alright. He gives the armor. He doesn't dress you. So, the question is, is what is the armor? The armor is resources that God gives you to fight against the trickery, deceptive schemes of the enemy, even though you know in the end you are already victorious and he's defeated. But that doesn't stop him from fighting. So you got to put it on. You got to dress for success. Now, look up here to the screens, and I want you to see something interesting. Notice this observation. You won't catch it if you're just reading through this, this scripture, but if a careful reading of the scripture, you will see something so very important. Now, get this. Verse number 11, it says this. Verse number 11, let's go to verse 12, uh, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God uh, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day having done all to stand. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shot the, your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You see that? Look, look at verse 14. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now notice this. Look at the change. Verse 16, it changes. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helm of salvation, the word of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So it went from having to taking. So in other words, get this. There are six pieces to the armor. Six pieces. The first three pieces, he says you got to have. The last three pieces, he says you got to take up. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying this. There are three pieces of this armor that you got to have and the word have is, it means a state of being. 
In other words, you don't take this off. You don't take this off. You have this. Don't take it off. But then he says, when the occasion occurs, you need to take up something. You don't need it all the time, but you need to take it up. Isn't it interesting that he says in verse number 14, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. How many knows that you need to walk in truth all the time? Somebody say amen. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness that deals with the heart. The breastplate is righteousness. Breastplate. What is the breastplate? It covers the heart. What is righteousness? It deals with your right relationship with God. So the breastplate of righteousness deals with your heart towards God. So walk in truth. Make sure your heart is right with God. These are things you got to do all the time. And then he says, verse 15, having shod, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words, you are called always, always to walk in the gospel. You're called to share the gospel at all times. Because that's what a soldier does. So he says, you got to have truth. You got to keep your heart right. You got to be missional. And then he says, but you need to take up. In other words, take it up when you need it. You don't got to carry it with you all the time. Just take it up when you need it. Verse number 16. Above all, take up the shield of faith. In other words, in other words, there'll be times in your life that you got to take up a shield of faith. There are other times that things are good. There are some times in life that things are going the way you think it should. But then there are times in your life that you've got to be a soldier and you've got to use your faith at certain levels in your life, at certain occasions in your life, at certain seasons of your life. You've got to pull out your faith and use it more times than others at certain seasons of your life. Number 17, he says, and take up the helmet, the sword of the spear, and the Word of God. There are occasions that you're going to have to use the Word of God at certain things. Certain things, you've got to use the Word like a sword to get results. You see, having versus taking up. Now, the question is this. How do you put on the armor of God? How do you put on the armor of God? I'm glad you asked me. And the Bible says in verse number 18, this is how you put on the armor of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to the very end with perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Verse number 18 says to us, Ephesians 6 verse 18, I want you to see he uses the word pray. He uses the word with all supplication in the spirit. He uses the word supplication again. Over and over, he says, make sure you pray and be watchful. So how do you, listen, how do you put on God's resources? You put on God's resources by developing a prayer life. And when you develop a prayer life, you put on God's resources, which is a spiritual armor against the trickery and the schemes of the enemy. Now, do I have permission to tell you? Now, Brother Mike, this is not on there. This is something that I added. You know, I give you the ice cream. This is the cherry on top, all right? So it's not back there. Just listen to me. If you can find it, that's fine. If not, it's no big deal. I want to say something, that prayer is so important in this passage because it, help, it puts on God's resources. It helps you put on God's resources. Now, the question is this. What is prayer? Prayer 
is earthly permission for heavenly interference. Prayer is earthly permission for heavenly interference. The question is, why do I need to give heaven permission? God is sovereign, and there are some things that God's just going to do because God's God. But there are some things that God is waiting for you to do. So why do I need to give heaven permission to come? Because in the book of Genesis, God gave man dominion over the earth. And the supernatural does not come unless the natural invites it to come. That is why demons want a body. And the bod- they seek for a body. Why do they want a body? Because God gave the planet to humans that have a mortal body. So the demonic realm, which is a spirit, wants to inhabit a body because the body has dominion on earth. And the demonic realm wants to have dominion on earth. They can kill, they can steal, they can destroy, they can wreak havoc if they can get in a body. So prayer is earthly permission for heavenly interference. God wants to know, do you want him to come? Because we have the right to leave him out. The Bible says in James chapter 5, now I'm almost done, James chapter 5, if you're with me, shout, I'm with you. If you're with me, shout, I'm with you. All right, can I finish this up? I said, can I finish this up? James chapter 5, verse number 13. James chapter 5, verse number 13. Listen to this. James chapter 5, beginning with verse number 13. Listen to this scripture. Is there any sick among you? Let him pray. Or is there any suffering? Let him pray. Is there any cheerful? Let him sing songs. Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed any sin, it will be forgiven him. Confess your trespasses one to another, and pray for one another that you may be healed, for the affectional, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elisha was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, And heaven gave forth rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Get this. This has to do with prayer. The writer here is James. James says, your prayers avail much. He says, but let me remind you of Elisha, Elijah. Elijah was a man just like you. And he prayed, and it did not rain. And he prayed again, and it rained. In other words... James is saying, if the prophet can do it, and if he can pray and have supernatural results, so don't you. You have the same nature as he had. But this is what's interesting. Go, Scripture interprets Scripture, so go back to the story. Don't lose me. Go back to the story where Elisha prayed for rain. Now, put the two stories together and you have a clear definition of what prayer is. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 18, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41, and this is uh, uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, I'm sorry. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse number 1, and I want you to see here. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah 
in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. Now, hold on here. Everybody look up here. This scripture just told me that God said it was going to rain. But in the book of James, it tells us that Elijah prayed, and it stopped the rain, and it produced the rain. But here in this scripture says, God said it was going to rain, and it rained. But the book of James says, Elijah prayed, and it rained. But in 1 Kings 18 verse 1, it said, God said it's going to rain. I'm going to say that again. 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 1, God said it was going to rain. James chapter 5, Elijah prayed and it rained. 1 Kings 18 1, God said it was going to rain. But James chapter 5 says, Elijah prayed and it rained. So what is the correlation? When Elijah prayed, he only prayed what God said. Did you all just get what I just said? Are you all picking up what I'm putting down? When Elisha prayed, he only prayed what God said. What God said didn't come to pass until he prayed. God declared it in the heavenly realm, but it didn't come to pass in the visible realm until he prayed. God said it was going to rain, but it didn't rain until he prayed. God declared it in the heavenly realm, but it didn't come to pass in the visible until he prayed. In other words, prayer called down what God already intended to do. Did you hear me? Prayer called down what God already intended to do. Prayer called down what God already intended to do. God said it was going to rain. The prophet prayed and it rained. So prayer is simply praying what God said. He was in agreement with what God said, and so prayer brought down what heaven intended to do. And that is why I'm encouraged tonight, because God's will is revival. God's will is souls. God's will is resurrection. God's will is restoration. God's will is a full house. God's will is healing. God's will is deliverance. And when we come together and we begin to pray the Bible, the Bible tells us that when we get in agreement with God, God's going to do what we ask Him to do because we are agreeing with God. So prayer called down what God intended to do. Now the Bible says in 1 Kings 18 verse 41, this is the prayer of the prophet. 1 Kings 18 verse 41, Then Elisha said to Ahab, Go up and eat and drink. There is a sound of abundance of rain. And, Eli and Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elisha went up to the top of Carmel. He bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. He said to his servant, go up now and look towards the sea. And he went up and said, I see nothing. You see what the prophet's doing. The prophet gets down on Mount Carmel. He knows what God said. But the rain didn't come until he prayed. Prayer is praying what God had already intended to do. But here, the prophet gets in a, he puts his, the Bible says, he puts his face, is that what the Bible says? He bowed down to the ground and put his face between his knees 
Do you know what? In, he, in, the, in the Jewish tradition, that was almost as if a birthing condition. Because back then, women didn't go to the hospital, get in a bed, and pop the baby out. You all, women sit almost like this to give birth. Because it was easier for gravity with the full pull of gravity to pull the baby out. And here is the prophet putting his hand down, putting his face down almost in a travailing session. In other words, he was birthing out. He was getting ready to push out what had already grown in. What God had already told, God was getting ready to do. And God was getting ready to send forth the rain. God was getting ready to send forth a miracle. God was getting ready to send forth the power. God was getting ready to send forth the anointing, but He was waiting for the prophet to pray. He was pulling out of heaven what heaven already intended to do. His prayer just brought down what God had already intended to do. Prayer is not making God to do something He don't want to do. Prayer is grabbing down what God already said. Prayer is grabbing down what God already said. It doesn't happen on earth because it's intended to happen in heaven. You've got to pray it out. You've got to birth it out. You got to you got to bring it down. You got to pull it down by prayer. Number 9, when the battle gets intense, remember 11:26. The last point, when the battle gets intense, remember 11:26. It's interesting. 1 Corinthians 11:26 says this, the Scripture says, for as often as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Now the question i got to ask yourself is this, who do I proclaim it to? Yes, we proclaim it as a community by the act of the sacrament, but do you think that we could proclaim it to the spiritual world? Do you think that we could proclaim it to the demonic world? Do you think that we can proclaim the death of Jesus to the supernatural world? You see, proclaim His death until He comes. They don't want to hear it. The devil don't want to hear about the death of Jesus. The death of Jesus is not a his, just a historical event. It's power for the present. And so, when things get intense in the battle, remember the principle of 1126, proclaim His death to the supernatural world. The death of Jesus is more than a historical event. It's the power for the present. The devil tells you you need to be on drugs. You proclaim 1126 and say it's been defeated. When the devil tells you it's never going to happen, you proclaim 1126 and tell him it's defeated. When the devil tells you there's no way out, you proclaim 1126 that it's defeated. When he tells you you're never going to get free, you proclaim 1126 because of his death, I am free. I want to let you know tonight that as I end this sermon, I want you to know the devil is under your feet. The devil is defeated. The devil is powerless. The devil has been conquered. The devil has been beaten. The devil has been vanquished. And he may show up, but he does not have the final say. The blood has the final say. The cross has the final say. The empty grave has the final say. Jesus has the final say. When things get intense, 
proclaim 1126. Did you enjoy the reality of the supernatural world? 